0: Welcome to the first of our interviews at the Startup Operator. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Preetam Roy, who is part of the founder's office at CRED, which is one of India's best known FinTech startups. We're going to be talking about, you know, core principles for executing at startups, the challenges and advantages of innovating at scale, uh, the nuances of B2B and B2C businesses and much more. So without further ado, Welcome, Preetam Roy on the podcast. Hi Preetam, what's up? Good man, how are you? Good, good. Getting used to the quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. So Preetam, why don't you introduce CRED to us? Uh, CRED is a platform which essentially has established uh, itself as a destination for uh, credit of the individuals where people with good credit score uh, get to pay their credit card bills and also uh, enjoy a lot of rewards uh, they get to access to a lot of events experiences, and so uh, I mean with with the recent launches we are also been kind of getting into a lot of uh, a lot of other uh, I would say avenues where uh, we intend to kind of maintain uh, the value prop very clear to user we are here to uh, kind of give more and more to the credit or the users which they deserve as uh, so we just launched two different features uh, you can pay with the rent with your credit card you can also now get a credit line in like less than five minutes uh, which is truly I think rewarding for someone like credit. Or wow. So yeah I think it's been great journey and I think we are just getting started there uh, It's very also very early days in credit, uh, and yeah uh, we are just getting started there I would say. Wow. Certainly seems interesting. Uh, Speaking of early, I mean, you've done the whole zero to one journey multiple times. Uh, So I want to ask you, what is the unique thing about it? You know, maybe you can start with uh, certain general aspects and, you know, then get into the nuances on the product front, itself. Sure. Uh, I think the key outcome that is essentially expected on our zero to one journey is, you know, taking out the truth. Uh, and hence, you whoever runs that show has, has to be truth seeking, right? Now, that has meaning on every level that has meaning on business, that has meaning on uh, broad market fit, and every downstream level, right? But I think being truth seeking is the one on one, I would say, expectation, uh, outcome, or everything that essentially defines the success, right? Now, what, what do I mean by truth seeking, right? Uh, so truth seeking essentially is an ability where you have the ability to look at a problem statement at a 30,000 fit. at the same time you can go in depth and tell okay this are the exact problem and solve for that. right? Uh, so I think yeah I mean if you ask me like one thing that really really stands out uh, about 0 to 1 and people who are really really good at it is essentially the truth seeking. And uh, okay now getting on one level deeper right what does that really mean for business right. So for an example. Uh, what it would mean for a business would be, let's say you have a hypothesis, you have a hypothesis of XYZ, right? And uh, validating, kind of validating that hypothesis against whatever data, intuition, conversations with your users, clients you can have, that's essentially the business hypothesis validation in product, right? Product is, I would not say easier, but product is slightly more, I would say science, right? where uh, data essentially speaks a lot. Uh, like, like there are a few things which you can't really fake, even if you are in an imaginary world, for example, uh, virality, right? So you can buy virality, but that only lasts uh, like like very less of time, right? So uh, that's on the product side, right? Uh, so that's, that's essentially a key for uh, zero to one, like you, everything has to boil down to validate uh, what you have assumed to be true uh, for success of your uh, feature, product, and business when it comes to zero to one. Yeah, that's how I kind of look at zero to one. That's pretty interesting, man, because this pursuit of truth, right, essentially is you you start in a blank slate and you figure what works and what doesn't, right? Uh, In some sense, you are reinventing whatever works for you um, starting from the blank slate as such. Right. So, the other point why I kind of focus very much on the truth seeking part is I mean, I have seen a lot many cases where I have seen like the smartest of founders, friends around uh, who just get romanticized about the fact of their hypothesis, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, at times, by the virtue of working on a ground level, you can't read really at all zoom out and look at the truth, right? it might be working out uh in a micro level but that doesn't really mean that you are actually closer to your uh, product market fit so that's why truth seeking at every level is like very very important and i think that's the only objective to be honest yeah no i want to i want to continue on that same thread because i think at that stage right it's so important also to project truth to your founders right because a lot of the times as you mentioned they're, they're trying to validate this hypothesis and since that hypothesis originated with them Right, they do have sort of a romanticized notion of that, right? Uh, you know, or I mean, you know, if a lot of the times you're building businesses for the first time, you 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 know, you read up or you listen to people and you think that okay, marketing has to work X, Y, or Z way, or like you know, product has to be this particular way and so on. Right, but there is really no, you know, there is no no one way of building these things, right? You find out what is relevant for your own uh, uh, startup per se. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I don't think you know, you can really figure out this truth seeking components like the hypothesis validation, how and why by Googling it or essentially reading out anywhere else or listening to any, you know, podcast and so on so forth. So that's extremely an extremely subjective thing uh, when it comes to actually establishing this truth, right? Uh, You have to do your research to say the problem that you are out there to solve. What does it really mean for that to click? So that you actually have a business, right? Yeah, and yeah. and you need just to be true to yourself, yeah. I mean, and also, also just to note, at times this is slightly bit of an arts than science, and people who really, really run it, they actually know about it. it. Is just that mm-hmm. we try to live in a world where you know we look happy, hmm. and that hmm. actually works in the longer term. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's about it. I think. I, you have to yeah. do it as the essence. You have to do yeah. it objectively as the essence. And you can't read it up on uh, noon or somewhere else Is the essence is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, everything is sort of first principles in some right. sense of the right. Uh, right. Uh, you know word. So you've been, uh, as I mentioned in my intro, you've been both on the B2B side of things and the B2C side of things. Uh, I know that you wrote a you know fantastic post on this sometime back which uh, we perhaps will link on our social media. But what do, you, what do you see as similarities and what do you think works differently in both these uh, types of business models? I mean, from a very startup and early stage point of view, if you ask me, uh, to be honest, in a mature state, these two are slightly different business. Uh, on a startup side, I mean, on a very zero to one, on the existence of first three, four, five years, I think uh, the first principle remains the same, I would put it that way, uh, because all the all the key essence, right? Starting with uh, having hypothesis, starting with having a uh, go-to market, starting with having uh, the initial traction. This all terminologies are valid and has to be established, right? Now, <laughs> how that works are very different, and uh, what do you solve for, and how do you solve for it is also very different, right? So, for an example, uh, the user research that you do, right, uh, for a I mean, it's a very long, it's a very in-depth topic, to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. when you look at B2B versus B2C, but just, just to give someone, for someone like who is just getting started, I think the the key user research, right, uh, in B2B and B2C are slightly different, but it also has some common point, right? I, I give an interesting thought process there, right? You you may have noticed like, you know, the most of the successful B2B founders, right, they are mm-hmm in general, the people who has actually faced that B2B problem in their life at some point, mm. which, which a lot of people think counterintuitive. They think, no, that's not true. Only B2C people actually face the problem because consumer apps are everywhere. Mm. right? But on the contrary, B2B people are the people who actually has faced the actual yeah. at some point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think that's a similarity in my mind. Yeah, uh, no, right. just to add to that, just to add to that, like I, I think that's a very good point, because especially if you more uh, if, especially if we move more towards enterprise, right, right. Uh, we see that you know typically founders are those who have do- that domain experience. right, like, right. If you build something for the financial services industry, for example, right. Right. Right, uh, right? You typically would have spent five, 10, 15 years in that industry experienced right. this problem firsthand or probably sold to that particular industry before right 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 so i think yeah that's a one call out that both kind of the both ideas kind of stem from your own experience or your own pain point observation i would say that kind of remains similar in both the cases right uh so that is first and second in terms of uh in terms of thinking about so the other big component right when you try to uh, I mean, when you do a business estimation to your initial go to market or anything, right? Uh, who are you solving for, right? That mm. is slightly layered in B2B. Yes. So let's say if you, if you launch a product, you may have to think on a very structured way that how do you get validated? For example, let's say if you're build, building it something for a big bank, right? You can't really go to the end node of the bank who is a salesperson, for an example, mm. right? You may have to talk with the CIO or you may have to talk with some of the security guy in yeah. the bank and so on and so forth. So that entry points are and I mean the the the, the major reason why this point essentially arises is the people who actually buy the software for B2B and who actually uses and who yeah. actually pays are very different. People. Yeah, a Great point. So great point. you need to essentially cover all of them at some point of your life cycle of your zero to one. To understand that it really works or no. So right? the user and the decision maker for the product uh, right. is is typically different, right? Right. right. Yeah. So there are a lot of examples. There are a lot of examples of tools, let's say, which the end user of an enterprise really really enjoys using, right? But the same tool, uh, the CIO may never ever pay because he thinks that's a threat to XYZ of their norms, mm. right? So hmm. that doesn't really work. That will never scale in terms of an enterprise solution per se. Yeah, that that poses some fundamental threat to that industry. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, one of the things that uh, is very apparent with B two B sales is that you know how complex it is in terms of like aligning people's priorities. Right, as you mentioned, uh, right. you know, as a user, you know, user experience is important for me. Getting my two three things that I do on a daily basis uh, done in the quickest time possible is really important to me. But you know, as a CIO, I may be thinking about information security and you know those kind of things. Or as a C-level person, I may be worried about those dashboards and reports and you know, right. those kind of things. Okay. So, so, right. yeah. Good point. Yeah. I mean, these are two broader problems uh, which I see. Like One is the relevance of facing the problem. Second one is whom are you really solving for? In B2C, that is straightforward. In b 2 B, is not. So that you need to hmm. be aware of. Uh, but at the same time, having said that, the problem statement that you are trying to solve uh, and the way you are trying to solve is somewhat remain similar in today's world, I would say. Right. In a B2B, B2C, you essentially try right. to optimize for the best experience, you try to optimize for a solution which uh, functionally solves the problem, and so on and so forth. So, those I think mm-hmm. kind of remain the same. I think those are the key difference I would say when you are kind of starting to think about. Right. No, and and this whole trend of consumerization of the enterprise as such, okay. right, with Slack and those kind of tools. Okay. Uh, I mean, software B two B software today looks very, very consumerized. Yeah. 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 In some sense, right. So you have a lot of those core UX principles which are overlapping at both B two B and B two C. Right. Right. I don't yeah. think people defend it anymore, uh, where we think that B two B is all about solving functional problem. Doesn't yeah. involve. Doesn't really have to be a great experience. I don't really believe in the thought process. Uh, Absolutely, it has to. I mean, the benchmark is same. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to the next question that I had in mind, which is: see, in your opinion, what are the three ideal characteristics uh, required to be a great startup operator? You know, uh, this pursuit of truth that you said. Uh, what is the ideal characteristic for someone to be? You know, an excellent. Pursuer of this uh, truth and you know, what are some of the deal breakers uh, in that regard? Right. Uh, So I I think, I mean, I'll also uh, be honest and answer this from some of the things that I have failed personally and learned over the time. Uh, Sure. uh, So I think you asked what are three things that is required, right? So the first thing that would be required is to to have the ability to consume and learn information and put them in an objective way to a problem statement and not be romanticized about the problem statement but think very uh, objectively in a step function way to Mm. cover all the variables there starting with market sizing to the market depth to what is the right time a why now to everything else right that is the first quality i would say and right. uh yeah so that's the first quality in my mind that you need to be someone who can uh, really really consume information and uh, act on that that's the first one uh, okay second one second one i think uh, which is which is slightly i think is a personality trait uh, which is i think great to have is uh, i think I think conviction is conviction is more of a I would say it's a, it's, it's like a hormone, right? Mm. Uh, like some people have got it, some people have got it halfway there, some people take medicine for that, right? So I uh, I think that that really really helps. So when you really know that there is a you know alpha that you can solve for, and it might take you know some some trade-off, like you might lose some salary and this that, but you really, really want to build that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's difficult to put in words, but that helps, that mm. enables you to do build, to be honest. Now I don't understand yeah. that, you know, there are situational issues like someone is married, someone is dependent on the salary, and someone is have dependence on the parents and so on. I totally agree. Those, those are the real issues, to be honest. But mm. that one kick, I would say it, it, it can also be learned over time that, you know, how do you mm. essentially mitigate your risk for the days when you really, really want to build something? Mm-hmm. And so forth, right? I would call that the a second quality, Uh right. third quality, right? I think, uh, I think, uh, I mean, I call it HR quality, right? So I think every startup founder has to be a really, really good HR for their first three to five years, because I think sixty, seventy percent of your job is just to onboard right people. By onboarding, I yeah. mean onboarding investor, onboarding people, onboarding your partners, onboarding the CX level folks, and everyone else, right? So, mm. I think being HR helps. You need to be in that mode yeah. where you exactly know a candidate, you exactly know what they may be uh, looking yeah. to, and you can tell a story which is like, you know, everyone connects. Yeah. So no, I mean, in in many ways, I think the, the job of a founder is to assemble the right people and enable them. Right. That's right? all. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I think HR, I, I would not say it's the HR crash course. You just need to think about people, like where they're coming yeah. from, why they're coming from, what might change their decision, right? Mm. And just crack mm. there. And same is true for investors as well, I think. the the sheer mm. storytelling skill. I think that these are the top three in my mind, I would say. Which get right. you started and which is right. with the the most required thing mm. and the second mm. point I would essentially add uh, one is the ability to get started the second one is uh, at times uh, to have the resilience to go through uh, the nine out of the ten times when you feel low in a of learning. You need to have resilience yeah. to absorb uh, and hang in there and build. Yeah and still look for the brighter days. So that is very, very important. Because... Yeah, no, that's a super important point. That's a super important point. I remember telling this to, you know, one of the folks that we worked with earlier, that, uh, you know, I mean, on most days, you are failing at something or the yeah, other. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Most days, you are failing at something or the other because your plans, your goals itself are so ambitious. Right. Uh, so it's super important that, you know, when you succeed, you really celebrate. Right, right. yeah. Because... Yeah. Uh, that becomes super important as well Uh, yeah so let's uh, move on to scale see you've seen significant scale right I think Disney uh, you know had 20 million something downloads on the product that you were working on right right now has I think you know know, probably a few million downloads as well now a lot of the startup journey requires iterating continuously right experimenting figuring out what works and doubling down on those things and so on right Um, what are the challenges when you're innovating at this scale uh what are the challenges and also what are the advantages of you know uh having this kind of a scale when you are innovating right uh, so i think uh, I, i'll start about the pros first and come to the cons because pros are slightly easier there so uh the biggest pros is obviously uh the distribution that you get right uh for an example uh if whatsapp has to release the payment today right and uh, the one if one person of the whatsapp DAU essentially out of the payment yeah that is possibly yeah. bigger than any app in the country uh, well, yeah. a lot of actually in the country Not- no likewise for likewise for enterprise as well right so for example i mean i i was joking with someone the other day that for microsoft any new product launch is essentially an upsell, right right right. because if you look at teams the kind of uh you know uh market share they've gained right. in right. you know probably the last year or year and a half as such right i can't think of any enterprise company that can uh you know get that kind of a market share right right, right. So i think uh, distribution is the biggest advantage of uh kind of mm. uh having uh kind of working at scale yeah. uh so that I mean, distribution is a huge problem for any product feature experimentation that is getting launched. So that is a huge enabler, I would say. Uh, so that that's the uh, the greatest, I would say, uh, plus point of uh, long, uh, working on scale, right? Mm. Now, uh, and also, like you have this. I mean, on the, on the downstream, you have like similar benefits, right? You can also experiment on a larger user base. You can do a lot of focus group experimentation uh, before going to the market, right? So you get, a, you have a real sense. I mean, when the, typically Microsoft launches a product, that possibility was under a beta for a year. So they have <coughs> like every possible thing that could break, every possible situation <coughs> that might come, right? So those really, really help you to make the product to the end mild perfection, uh, that's right. possible otherwise. So that is, I think the, that is on the uh, positive side, right? Now the challenges when you uh, when you are working at scale right so when you're working at scale you have to think it this way uh, when you're working at scale you have essentially a lot many stakeholders right and i would say user also is a stakeholder right user is one of the biggest stakeholder now when you're working at scale that stakeholder is huge like if you have let's say uh 10 million DAO, then you have to think that whatever you think is fine, great, whatever you want to do is also great. But whatever your user thinks is also has a huge, it should have a huge, you know, uh, I would say variable in your thinking on the next step, right? Mm. So mm. Uh, so that at times slows the process, I would say, because your number of stakeholders are so high, you mm. have to, uh, the feature that you could build in a. Let's say one million ARR, uh, kind of one million ARR uh, SaaS company. When you have hundred million ARR, you can't build and launch that product in the same timeline. Because mm. it's just because you know uh, B2B will, I mean the SaaS will essentially have its own. It will the compliance has grown. Your sales teams ask are different. The kind of mm. client base, are kind of it, the, it, countries your partners are or your clients are, though are very different, right? Mm. So it. It makes a launch difficult, right? And also mm. because, uh, in particularly in B two B, your single feature has to also seamlessly fit it in other products. And yeah. That is itself so complex, right? So you yeah. need to, you need to kind of accommodate for all that. The same thing happens in consumer. If you have a mm. like 15, 20 million DAO or even further more, uh, you if you launch a single functionality that has to essentially support a uh, few things, right? A of those users Be the scale or the load of those users suddenly, right? Mm. And it also Mm. has to seamlessly go in in the current flow without breaking any of the user journey. So that's how kind of is kind of I mean those are the added thing you have to as a PM or a product guy you have to think about uh, when you are kind of launching a new product. Yeah. So interesting you mentioned that. So I was reading uh, uh, something about Zoom's growth. So they've grown to about I think they hit three hundred million DAO uh, last week. Right. Uh, and Eric Yuan, Eric Yuan, sorry, Eric Yuan, uh, basically said uh, that we've just got, we, you know, we've taken a engineers uh, out of all of the features that they were working on, all of the new features, and just put them on scale right now. Like, right. All of them are just working on fit and finish on scale right now. Right. Okay. So. Yeah. That, yeah, that happens. happens. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like you know. They went from something like uh, 10 million DAO in uh, November or December yeah, to 300 million. 10 or 20 million DAO Imagine. and from there they kind of shoot up. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So uh, my final question is on you know what lies ahead. So what plans for the future? Uh, how do you see things panning out uh, for yourself? Anything exciting uh, You know that uh, our listeners should know about? Uh, uh, I think for some time in future i'm kind of pretty much just focused uh to kind of learn things uh so i'm i'm, I'm doing bunch of things actually i'm uh, i'm kind of uh kind of trying to do courses which are kind of way beyond my areas. uh things like actual machine learning like learning some bit of it and see how things kind of work i'm also kind of pouring into things which i have not done before for example uh understanding the whole kyc industry how that works right so i'm just I'm just kind of uh, trying to broaden my horizon, uh, just to understand how things work, uh, what are the things that may come up in the you know, next two three years time, kind of thing. So, yeah. So I think yeah, I'm I'm in a kind of PO learning mode, uh, and I think this is gonna go on till sometime is what I sense. Uh, yeah, I think that's that. I mean, that's the only thing I have in mind to be honest. Now, I'm not really seeing anything, but uh, I'm I'm also actively trying to learn you know, is there a way of compounding yourself? Like I've done a mm. few things in startup and learned a few things and startup mm. also limits you to a certain extent in terms of what you can and otherwise. Like in my startup, mm. I could never think of you know, doing a machine learning course. Myself, mm. Now I can. Right? Because I have the mental yeah. space to do that. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm just enjoying that phase I would say. Uh, where nice. We're kind of trying to really, really compound in things, uh, understanding a lot of complex shit as well. So yeah. I think that's that's been the journey been up. And I think it will continue for some time. Then we'll see what happens next. Nice man. You sound like you're like totally intellectually curious at this point of time and free. So right. <laughs> that's uh, that's a very good vibe to have. Before we leave you, just three very short uh, like quickfire questions. Sure. uh one, what is a book that you're reading? What is a podcast that you're listening to that we should all be aware of? Uh did I recently Read or kind of at the kind of final uh, leg of uh, reading, which is uh, there's a book called How will How will you measure your life? Uh, Oh, Clayton Christensen. Yeah, there's a Clayton Christensen book. I I didn't get a (laughs) it. Don't tell me Harish gave you this book. No, (laughs) I I I remember Harish telling me once, but Harish didn't give me. I finally got it. Yeah, so Harish gave me this book uh, sometime last year. Fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, I think this book has really, I mean, I don't know, is this the time or this book has really changed me to kind of look at things in a very, you know, objective way. i think mm. to look, okay, mm-hmm. he got a divorce. This could be the reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think uh, that kind of been really, I think it's one of the greatest book I have read in the last two, three years. Good amount yeah, no, it's one of those books you reread. It's one of those books yeah, uh, yeah. you have to reread uh, yeah. Yeah. In yeah. on podcast front, I I typically listen to a bunch of product podcasts. Uh okay. and on a generic one, I think the A16Z is great. Uh, okay. Anderson Holloway's podcast is one of the great ones. Uh, I'm waiting for you to plug our uh, operator start, I mean startup operator podcast. Yeah, I I I have to, I have actually followed that already in Spotify. I think I'll start listening to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, who is one person that you look up to that people should know about? Uh, in in which sense, dude? Like I look up to different people on it for different. Mm-hmm. generally, products, startups, life, philosophy, anything. Uh, I think in from a life point of view, I look up a lot to my dad. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I always thought that if I could be, you ten know, percent of him, I would be happy in life, uh, which I think I'm still far away. So that's that's someone I look up to in personal life. Uh, on professional side, right? Uh, the professional side is like I there's so many like great people I know, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, there, there's I mean, I would let's say I let me not take the singular name, but I'm a big fan of people uh who has you know built silently and has really built uh a business from uh kind of from nowhere to where it is currently mm. so mm. i am a, a big fan of uh, zoho uh, i have a mm. big fan of bunch of b2b founder actually who yeah who add, they are a different lifecycle of the journeys but uh they kind of build things on a on a, i would say uh, on a very low uh PR slash low zone to have they built real businesses the, out of India. So I'm yeah. I'm extremely inspired by those people. Uh, yeah. On uh on I think uh consumer side uh on consumer side I really like uh kind of founders who has shown like great focus right in terms of executing mm-hmm. Uh, beat Swiggy being in Bangalore for the longest time till they experimented and then they kind of went to a different city and when they went they went in a um, uh, exponential scale uh, so I, I really really like their uh, kind of uh, the way they have operated I really, really, it's a uh-huh. very inspiring journey for me uh, I think so yeah I think Swiggy is on them uh, an academic. is phenomenal execution yeah yeah so it's I think I think, uh, I, I think focus is very underrated in my mind. I mean, I have seen fo- very yeah. few people actually talk about focus that uh, we always talk about, you know, growth and this and that, uh, we always talk about those PR articles that come into newspaper, but I think focus <laughs> is like, is a very under, uh, is a very under talked about stuff, but it's it's yeah. like be variable. So I think Swiggy founders, I think they're in really, really good job in terms of uh so i remember the swiggy was i think in bangalore for first 3 years or so uh, mm. that is that is i mean that's not so common to be honest in today's world is. if so many money flushing on you you might go to you might expect it to go to you know, 10 cities yeah yeah and in, the, in yeah. the second year or so like saying no to that i'm saying no i'll i'll kind of get this shit right for me it takes yeah. a lot i know it it takes a lot so i think yeah swiggy yeah. is one of the great examples. On the upcoming uh, time, I think Unacademy be a great example of being yeah. focused and being doing really, really do well that. Yeah, I think these two are kind of top of my mind, I would say. Uh, uh, I mean, there are some product which also really, really as a product has really uh, so Google pays on the product, which for its all gamification and the kind of way they have taken the market share is a great growth slash uh, the product nuances journey for me. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. these are some of the examples I look up to. If you ask me, uh, uh, on the pre startup side. Awesome, awesome. Hey Pritham, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, thanks so for much for sharing them. all of this, Gyan. Uh, uh, I'm sure you know with all of this insight, we'll execute a lot better uh, at our startups. Thank you so much, Pritham. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. See you also. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Startup Operator. Every weekend, we will be interviewing operators at fast-growing startups and curating insights that can actually help you do better. This podcast is available on all popular platforms. And if you like our content, don't forget to subscribe and share.